of my teammates who just retired after 26 years in Marine Special Operations, he knows a lot of really good operators that we would not put in front of a client, right? Because it's an additional skill set to be able to not only have the experience, but know how to communicate and translate that experience in a way that positively impacts the life of somebody else. Is that much of a, is that, that's not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post-9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. And that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 75 features Joe McNamara, a Marine Corps veteran, principal at the Iron Leader, and a member of the board of directors of Operation Patriots FOB. We talked about not just learning how to apply what you do know, but also how to learn what you don't know. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. All right. We are live. Good morning and happy new year. This is, uh, we're coming to you from the future, <laughs> This is from the past rather. This is, uh, we're getting a head start on, on recording here in the middle of December, but this is the first episode of 2024. Um, and I'm here with, uh, with Joe McNamara of The Iron Leader. Thanks for joining. Welcome to Veteran Made. Excited to be here, buddy. Awesome. Um, cool. For those that, uh, that don't know who you are, we'd love to just kind of jump into a bit of a primer uh, on, on um, kind of who you are, where and when you served. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into some transition stuff. Easy. Um, like you said, Joe McNamara was a Marine Corps infantry officer. Just did my undergraduate stuff at uh, Virginia Tech and was a member of the Corps of Cadets there. And just fortunate to be, that was in the timeline 2003, 2007 timeframe. So, uh, you know, kind of our indoctrination into training into in development into the military were coming all, you know, all of my mentors and all the people who poured into us were you know, straight off the streets of, of Iraq and Fallujah and Haditha in those different areas. So, um, so I always say it was, a, it was a good and bad, right? Um, because the good is you weren't just relying on history books and training. And this is how we've always done it is the people who kind of poured into us were, these were the fresh lessons that they were learning straight out of combat, right? Um, the bad is they also understood the realities of if it's if development is not done right what happens and so i think that you know our training pipeline was necessarily really difficult um and so i spent spent time in matriculated virginia tech um then through the marine corps officer pipelines infantry officer side and was out with segmentine third marines did a couple of combat deployments to helmand province um and just got to do everything a young infantry officer would want to do um, when we left left there after a couple a couple of those rotations was selected to command and lead Marine Corps drill instructors at notorious Marine Corps boot camp um, was a welcome surprise. Uh, it wasn't what I you know in my mind, my plan, what I wanted to do. And you know looking back on it, that was uh, not only a, a privilege to get to serve around just dudes that were that disciplined. Um, but it turned into an incredible leadership laboratory of learning how to, you know, really spread your influence and seek buy-in and get, you know, being around these high performers. So um, spent time, spent time there in the third recruit training battalion, leading through or, or leading in, in operating with the, a bunch of those guys and, and kind of putting throughout. I think we did 
the number is over 3,000 recruits, did 10 and a half cycles up there with those guys. Um, and it, in, in hindsight and looking back on it, it was one of the uh, was interesting duty station, but it was very formative in my development. Um, that process of looking at combat and looking at, you know, how we mold and shape young men was when I was starting to make the decision if I'm going to transition and get out, um, what that looks like. And so I started looking at this and going, hey, there's, there's something here that we've got a very unique background and experience, not just on the training and the development side, but from the combat aspect of that, that we can be good stewards of that experience and share that with other people. Um, and so as we started kind of transitioning and getting out, <clears throat> that was what the um, kind of the impetus of figuring out how, what am I going to do once I leave this gun club uh, and kind of walk through there. So I, I, as we, we walked through that, uh, as we walked through that transition period, I ended up going to business school, at University of North Carolina, made a couple of different connections in that regard um, and spent time dabbling through uh, in the real estate development process and, and building master plan communities throughout the Southeast in those areas, as well as trying to figure out how can we take these experiences and build that. And that's what led into uh, kind of the Iron Leader platform in, in that regard. Awesome. Yeah, I want to dive into to a lot of those specifics. Um, so something I actually don't typically do on the show, although I end up finding myself saying that more often than not, and then doing it anyway. So it's probably just going to be kind of come a, a part of it, depending on 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 who's a guest. I had you know several uh, academy grads on, and actually have not had an opportunity to talk to a ton of officers uh, who have kind of gone through uh, you know Corps of Cadets at at a, at a an institution like Virginia Tech or AM or, you know, th those places that have the Citadel places that have those kinds of things. Um, so I, I have some kind of transition into the military questions for you to start. Uh, was the military something that you had thought about growing up? Are you and I right around the same age? You're a little bit older than I am. So 9-11 happened, you know, kind of right around that very formative time for both of us. Was that something that you thought about pre 9-11? Did you have military history in your family or did 9-11 happen? And, and then you kind of found yourself um, moving towards this opportunity at, at Virginia Tech. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would say it's it's kind of a broad, a uh, broad entry into it. Um, I I would tell you that I've always had an interest in the military, but I was not one of those guys that said, "Hey, this is what I'm going to go do. Um, this is where it's at." You know, when you you've met them, I've met them. There's guys that hey, what's in the time they were, you know, they can remember they wanted to do this, right? I was always intrigued by it and what I've seen, uh, both you know the pilot side or the special operations side. You see. You, you see the posters or you watch the movies. I've always found an interest in it, but I wasn't, didn't really feel a calling to it, if that makes sense. Um, mm. It was, I was on, you know, the sports path playing every sport known to man um, and just really kind of every opportunity I could have to play and, and kind of in that high school formative time after 9-11 um, was making that decision of what is growing up, right? What does the rest of the life look like? And was, didn't have, you know, any real interest. I'll say that I didn't have any real interest. They had a couple of smaller schools and things like that, that were offering some athletic scholarships, but it wasn't anything that was going to lead to the next step. And so when I got real about thinking about the next five, 10 years of my life, um, that's how I ended up kind of down that path was, Hey, I, I don't think that sports, you know, I'm not good enough to go make a, you know, a living out of being a professional athlete somewhere. Um, and so what am I going to do? And I started to pursue, actually go to the Naval Academy, uh, who, you know, in a, in a good way to keep you humble, wanted nothing to do with me. Um, so that, that led to the exploration of going, okay, well, if the Naval Academy is, is not an option for me, 
what is. And um, that's kind of how I stumbled into Virginia Tech. I didn't know anything about the Corps Cadets. I didn't know anything about you know, ROTC or senior military colleges, any of that pathway. Um, I had a friend's brother that went to Virginia Tech, went down there and we, we visited him. And when we were there, I saw, hey, there's a military component to it. And so signed up and ended up in a, um, you know, in that path in the senior military college down there. You had a, a passing general interest in the military, so you chose the Marine Corps. It makes total sense. This is the most Marine thing I've ever heard. Well, I, I can I can blame an Army major for why I'm in the Marine Corps. <laughs> um, I was in touring these colleges. You know, I didn't I didn't I didn't know the difference, right? Like like many people, I you know I know there's you know, Top Gun pilots because we grew up watching Top Gun, right? I've heard of Navy SEALs before. That was about it. Um, I didn't have a deep understanding of you know the difference of the branches and what guys do and. Um, I was touring some colleges and there was a, a, um, a, a army major at, who was the ROTC lead or whatever at uh, Indiana University. And he was putting his pitch on why I need to come there and do this and tell, talking to me about the Rangers and all the cool stuff that Rangers get to do. And it sounded fascinating, but, you know, it was a general, genuine question from me. I said, well, to help me understand, you know, what's the difference between the army and the Marine Corps? And his, I'll never forget his explanation. He's like, you know, think of the army as a screwdriver. You know, we see a problem. We're going to do all the cool stuff with our helicopters and our rangers. And we're going to strategically, you know, pick this apart, you know, nicely and, and solve that problem. Um, think of the Marine Corps like a sledgehammer. And they're going to look at that same problem and they're going to smash the living daylights out of that problem, have a blast while they're doing it, and then look at the mess they created and figure out, well, how are they going to fix it? And, uh, that was it for me. I said, cool. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to the Marine Corps side. And so you can blame the army for I'm, why I am a Marine. Uh, yeah, sir. I don't think you understand that that pitch went uh, backwards for you. You, you told me exactly what I wanted to hear and where I wanted to go. Um, that's super cool. When did you start to, when did you start to think about, um, so obviously, as a as a marine as a as an infantry officer, you are leading men in combat, and so leadership is something you always have to be thinking about um, and acting on, um, and having a deep understanding of um, obviously both philosophically as well as operationally, right? And, and the, the intersection of those things. When did you start to think about the application of leadership principles outside of the military? Was that something that you thought about while you were while you were leading men in combat? Were you thinking like, okay, you know, I. I'm doing my job and I'm loving this and I'm enjoying this. And when I get out, I'm going to, or were you thinking about career at the time? Like when did you start to, to make that transition maybe mentally or emotionally? Sure. Uh, I think that's a great question. And I, I'd love to say that, Oh yeah, I was thinking about that all along the way. Right. And I will tell you when I was, you know, young, you know, young college kid in that and, and thankful for the people who were pouring into me at my path at that time, it's not. And even as a you know young lieutenant and going through that pipeline, my focus was all about how can I, you know, hone my skill sets, both tactically, um, you know, in, in, throughout the world, in the leadership side of that, the people aspect of that, so that I can lead my men effectively and bring them home, right? That time frame from, you know, 2006 to 2012, we, I knew exactly where we were going to go. And so there is a real reality of if I do not, um, if I am not as good as I can possibly be at this specific thing, there are real consequences to this. And so I, I think if I look back on that and reflect on it is, 
No, that was probably my mindset there was it's about my men here. It was when, when I started thinking about getting out, right? And I was up at Paris Island and I was watching some of the, just the vast wide net of, you know, the men and women that we bring to the Marine Corps. I was looking at all of these different, you know, life experiences coming through, getting put into this system that has been refined for decades and decades and watching how we can take this here, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what your background is, and we can put you through this process when you have high performers right here, kind of molding that, um, that's where I started connecting those dots of going, Hey, it, it's not about, you know, chest thumping and look at us and where it's going to go. I think it's about, and the word that I always come back to is stewardship. It's we are, I believe we're all product of our experiences and the, you know, the Lord's seen us through different areas where I, I don't know why, you know, I've, I've seen through areas and other guys didn't make it home what it is, but how can I take those experiences and be a good steward of that, of how it shaped me, how it's built me, and pour that into other people. And so there are some areas where, you know, some things are more um, receptive or better placed in certain environments than others. Um, it's not necessarily, you know, we don't turn people into Marines where it's going to go. But when we think about the common daily life stuff of basic leadership, you know, the discipline, decision making, uh, taking initiative and ownership at low levels, those are things that are common in the military world that when I started looking outside, were not common outside. And so how can we take that from our experiences and shape that? I think it was kind of towards the latter part of me thinking about transitioning, how we can, this doesn't just have to stop, right? Hey, I was here, cool, this is done, and now I move on. That's where I think it really started honing in my brain of going, I can, I can blend these worlds, if you will. You, you, yeah, that makes total sense. Your selection, and it's, it's funny that, that actually, that I've never, I haven't thought about this before this way. Um, and I, I, I just thought of this as I was asking you the question and then listening to your answer that I know the reason that I, I knew that immediately, immediately upon being in the air force that I was only going to do one. I, obviously I joined to do, you know, one enlistment and, and, you know, get out and use the jet bill and, and, and all of that stuff. Um, so that was, was certainly my plan, but I, I knew that that was the right call for me pretty immediately because I already started thinking about what I was going to do after service, like one year into my enlistment. And that's not to say that I didn't, I, I didn't love being an enlisted member of the air force and performing my job at the time. And it's not even to say that I'm not even saying this looking back and, and saying, I regret the decision or didn't like it. I just, I knew, okay, I'm not a lifer. I'm not a career person. I'm not here to do this uh, forever. I'm here to do this and enjoy it, get what I can from it and apply on the outside as I get in. And so that was kind of the spirit of that question was, was reflective in a way, in a weird way. And I've actually never, I've never really thought about that until, until just now. Um, when you got selected for Paris Island to go lead DIs, were you, was that, um, did you put yourself up for that? Did you put a package in? Was, was Were you chosen and you had to go? Was it kind of an out-processing step? Did you know you were going to to separate um, at that time? I did not know that because um, similar to you, you know, what's that saying? If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, right? Um, I, I would tell you when I was getting into the military, going through that process, <clears throat> kind of that, that indoctrination piece of it, um, my mindset was, hey, like yours, let's get in, let's get out. Um, and then it, it kind of flipped. You know, I, I was fully bought into it. The people who I was, I was fortunate enough to be around that were put in my path. These are the giants that walk on our earth. And it was just, it was so exciting every single day to be able to be around these types of guys. And so 
with there's a whole different backstory of how I ended up there, but on the officer pipeline, the typical pathway for us is kind of three years in the fleet, right? Deployable status. Then they send us off to a B billet. And then we typically go to a career level school for another six months or a year. And then you're back out to the fleet, B billet school as we progress through. Um, so it was a natural transition coming out of that. That's, that's, it has to go. I have to leave, you know, third Marines where we were at and we're going to a B billet, but it opens up the whole world of what you could go do. Um, I ended up at Paris Island for, from a couple of areas, but mostly because that, that falls under the training and education command. Um, speaking of the academy, I think one of the things that I asked to do was to go up to the Naval Academy and be an instructor or back to the basic school, which is where we teach Marine officers. And in that TCOM side, you know, they grabbed it and said, hey, awesome. You want to be TCOM? Paris Island. Here you go. Um, so I'd never been down here. Uh, never you know, fully understood where it was. It was purely needs of the Marine Corps type stuff. Here you go. And it ended up, you know, working out pretty well for me. So as you were, as you were starting to think about, uh, when, when did you make the decision to, to transition out? And to it leave? was tough. It took me a long time. Um, it took me a long time, but it was <clears throat> probably around 2013, 2014. And I would say it took me every bit of over a year of, you know, you're waking up and trying to make a, this is a, this is a life altering decision, right? Stay in, get out uh, one way or the other. It's going to change things. And so I did not make it quickly. Um, but a lot of it was, I, I knew that I, I looked at getting out and I looked at kind of the corporate sector, the corporate world, and it felt kind of like, uh, you know, a cage to me. And as an infantry officer, like I love serving and leading people. I love the Marines that I got to be around. I loved our mission and what we were doing. And so knowing that when you get out, what you hear from everybody is, it's not necessarily the Marine Corps or the service that you miss, but it is, it's the people, right? And so in that same lane of going, we have something that can benefit other people, selfishly, some of that is going, hey, I want to continue to work with these guys, right, on the outside. And so um, I think that so there's, <laughs> there's a gap. We've got great people. Let's put something together and see if we can, you know, start getting some traction on this. Uh, and it kind of worked out that way. When did you start to think about actioning these leadership principles? Um, and what did that process look like as you transitioned out and got into real estate and, and were kind of like went to your MBA? Was that, was your MBA uh, immediate? Was that, was that kind of a, um, I don't want to say a half step, but was, was that like, was that something that you looked at as a, as a way to transition out or did you walk us through the timeline there? Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you that as I was starting to get out, I started to formulate kind of a business model of what this might look like in when I was still in the Marine Corps. And so I started, you know, kind of selling it. Hey, here's this idea and reaching out. And in fact, I, I got in touch with, because um, <clears throat> I'm you know, a big sports fan and enjoy doing this. So I started calling around to areas that I stumbled across. Uh, the University of North Carolina has a leadership academy in for their athletic department. And I just cold called the academy and and spoke with uh, the director that was up there and um, she had turned me on to another group of you know former military vets and special operators that was doing something similar to that and that led to for the first year when I got out um, kind of got you know mentored by those guys in this space that that helped refine hey yep what we do in these experiences that we have it does translate and so I, I worked under that their wing for about a year um, and. That's when we decided business school was not a, an, an immediate step for me, but I felt that um, 
one, always being a lifelong learner in that process, I started looking ahead, the GI Bill, you know, an opportunity to use it going, I want to do something with it. And it was a, a, actually a friend of mine that I served with who he's really the one, the reason I ended up there was he challenged me and, and said, you know, you can go use the GI Bill and get some, you know, another, you know, some lame degree, really, that's easy. It doesn't take a whole lot for you. He's like, but you need to, you know, that's not what we do. That's not what Marines do. Find something that's hard, push yourself, challenge yourself. Um, and so I, I stumbled into the the program at North Carolina and I laugh, I'm, you know, and I was an admissions error at Virginia Tech. Like I had no business being, being there and I definitely didn't have any business being at North Carolina's business school. Um, but I, I loved the, what I was attracted to was I, I connected with a couple of uh, civilian friends that are close friends of mine now that they were actually selecting that program because they because of the emphasis that that UNC put on bringing military veterans into that business school and so that that flipped my perspective of hey here's they're, they're probably my people right you know I can learn a lot from them and their their finance world in New York City but he's specifically coming to the school because they bring a lot of veterans in and he wants to learn from us so I felt that that was a good match of my desire is to take our experiences and translate that to other people and having a willing and, and kind of friendship out there that that's what they want felt that that was a good match. And so I stepped into, <coughs> stepped into that program um, and, and built some pretty incredible relationships there of getting to see, you know, that, that high performers, not just in the military, there's plenty of high performers out there in the world and going to a program at that caliber you got to see some of these guys and that they're the high performers in their world and where it's at. And so I think that that really put poured some accelerant on this, this transitioning idea of how we take this hardened aggressive approach and turn it more into the high performers, but in a language that is um, acceptable, if you will, to the civilians and blending that world, North Carolina was a pretty big piece for us to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to kind of step take one step backwards and kind of slingshot forwards here a little bit. So back to that year that you were thinking about and making this decision to separate from the military, uh, you were already thinking about what you might, were you generating options for yourself? What, what was that? La what was practically speaking, mechanically speaking, what did that last year look like for you? It's something we talk a lot about on the show is how important it is to be not just thinking about your next steps while you're still in the military, but, but generating options and taking tangible action in the immediate to um, bulletproof some of those things. What mechanically did that last year actually look like and feel like for you and your family? Sure. Um, st stressful probably for the family, right? Um, and I know it was for me too, <clears throat> because don't get me wrong. I loved being a Marine infantry officer, you know, in my timing, everything, everything worked out pretty well for me to be able to do the things that I got to do. Um, so I loved it. What I started, I don't know that I was necessarily generating options for myself, but what I was looking for, I was trying to create the options, right? So it, it meaning that I had, I had kind of set more limitations. I knew, I knew more what I didn't want to do than I did want to do, if that makes sense. Right. And that's a good piece of so as an infantry officer, like we're a generalist, Right. You know, if you come out as a logistician or you come out as a pilot, like you have this this easily transferable skill that can go into something as a you know, from an infantry officer, I, I would tell you, like, we are leadership specialists and operations specialists. Well, that's, there's not a real easy you know translation for that. So I, I knew more of what I didn't want to do than did. So I started looking for, well, hey, if this is what I this is what's my this is my idea. 
let me go explore. Does this exist out here? And that's what I started stumbling into is both on a lot of corporations have internal leadership development teams and things in that regard. Uh, Definitely in athletics was was an area where I, I quickly was like, okay, hey, now I can marry two worlds that I enjoy athletics and leadership and oh hey these these things exist now it was early i didn't fully understand the extent of it but it was at least creating this general option of going here's an option for this um and that's what led into you know again finding that other company that did something similar to this and and those guys were awesome and they i mean they took me straight under my wing and so i was able to find uh you know not necessarily a hard and true path but a a easy stepping stone for me to at least explore it and find out if it worked or it didn't work um, and kind of go on that route with it. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's, it it, it is, it is interesting. The the military can provide, you know, depending on branch, depending on rating, MOS, AFSE, you know, can provide very specific translatable skills. Um, or these more general operations forward skills that, that you were talking about. Like I'm a good example of that, right? Like I was a flight line guy loaded bombs on F-15s. There certainly is an immediate transferable skill if you want to continue to go working in mechanics, uh, uh, you know, electronics and, you know, I didn't, right? So I had to figure out how to simplify the, the operational side of my job and see how I could apply those skills. And I, looking back now, I'm actually so grateful that I had to do that work and it has made me so much better. And that actually just compounds. I, I still continue to go back to those notes that I have. And I look at, okay, well, you know, 15 going on, you know, 15, 20 years later, am I, is there something I'm not translating that I could be? Is there something that I'm trans that I'm mistranslating that I could go back and see? And um, obviously these conversations help with that, but it's such a, it's such a fascinating uh, environment that we come out of. Um, it's, it's, we have a lot of similar experiences and then obviously these very different narrow experiences, depending on, on what it is that you did. Um, so how did you start to, to operationalize this as you were, as you were um, in the program at North Carolina? Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, a lot of it was you're, you're able to see, again, these high performers in their, you know, in their world, in their industry. And what I had a friend that, and there was some frustration because I'm like, man, these guys, you, you look at them, um, how to say this appropriately, you look at them like peers, but what you don't realize, especially in the time frame and the pipeline that I come up with, and in Marine Corps officers, we have so, such a refined dedicated world-class, I mean, the best in the world leadership development pipeline. And it's real easy to think, well, everybody gets that, right? Well, you're whatever, 35, you're 40, you're 42. You've clearly led teams at this regard. Like, no, the vast majority of those guys had only been responsible for themselves or they have a very small team that's underneath them, right? And when I, I had a friend that was like, you need to remember that. Like you've been through some real, like the best development pipeline in the world. Not everybody has done that. And it, it took a second to like sit me back down and be like, you know, call my frustration down as I'm frustrated because they're making mistakes that we got to make when we were 18 years old, <laughs> you know? And the last time I led a team of four people or six people was on, you know, a high school sports team. Um, the last company we turned over was 652 Marines. You know, most my peers at that program, then most of them have not led organizations that size. And so I was watching them make mistakes that was easy for me to get discouraged. 
um, with them <coughs> or frustrated with them. And it was, okay, my, that's where my job is. What is happening and what we started to see is everybody has an expectation for leadership, right? Or even a, a potential for where these leaders should be at the mid-level leader or executive leader or, or you know, you're a VP or you're a director. The expectation is up here. And the vast majority of the people we met, they're great people, but their ability is lies underneath what that expectation and that potential is because they have not. So that gap that is created between a leader's current ability, leadership ability, and what their potential is and what the expectation is, that creates so much internal friction um, and adversity in just inside of an organization or what you're trying to do with your team. And you haven't even brought the competition in yet, right? Who is actively trying to do things to beat you and do all this other stuff. So when, when I started to see that gap, that's really what lit this fire of saying, hey, we've got a couple of really quick and easy, low hanging fruit type things that if I just teach you this and this, it's going to help close that gap for you a little bit. And then once you develop on those things a little bit, we can now do some more stuff that tightens that even more and allows you to really fully reach your full potential. And so it was in that two year process at business school where I was, and I learned plenty, plenty from them too, right? Because uh, I'm going through this transition period. Uh, the whole, their whole world was new to me. And so it was trying to figure out how those two things mesh. And as you said earlier, some things that translate and some things that don't. Uh, I learned a lot about going, oh, this is easy. You do it this way. And you quickly learn, yeah, not in the world of HR. You don't get to do it like that in the civilian sector, right? Like, oh, have to find another workaround. So I think that that was a real refining process um, through school there where you're getting some real-time feedback from other business sector high performers that really allowed us, <coughs> excuse me, to tighten that up. What did you learn about yourself uh, in, in, in that environment? Uh, we'll jump into kind of th that gap that, that you started to see that, that you could fill. But outside of that, what did you learn about yourself? What, what, what did you learn going through that transition? And what, what did you soak in from, from your peers and from the instructors there? How far behind I was. Mm. Right. So that was kind of the dichotomy is, is I'm, I'm, I have a whole lot more experience in kind of leading teams in the soft skill piece of it. But I, you know, and, and, you know, I look at this and go, we've been leading since the time we got out of college, all these types of things, right. We've been leading teams. This is what I've been doing. The soft skill piece was in my opinion, farther along than a lot of my peers with that, but you don't realize like how far behind I was for a decade, right? They've been in the corporate sector of learning how to deal with, you know, all the, which we just don't get in the Marine Corps. You get a lot, especially in the infantry, you get a lot of the same types of people and operations in this, you know, in this one sector. So I think that was kind of eye-opening to me where again, you know, humility is such an important piece of leadership um, that, and, and that was one of the reasons I went there is I wanted to learn from them too, but it was, I think I was a little shocked at how quickly it was apparent. Like, yeah, you, you've been out of this for an entire decade yeah. that you, you don't have any experience in it. I really had to quickly learn from those guys. Um, and, and they couldn't have been better. They really could not have been better because they, they recognized that and they were willing to pour into me, uh, just as much as I was willing to answer other questions for them. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's one of the, I mean, you know, <laughs> While, while we were fighting the GWAT, you know, people were keeping an economy going back here, doing different right. real things, creative things, just, you know, corporate, like whatever, right? And there's, 
there's finance and accounting and operations and HR and all of these different business units within organizations, large and small. And so the skill sets that we have, I always talk about this. It's not, it's not about it, you know, for, for those people that are looking for an organization to join, it's not about finding a, an organization that can provide you the exact thing that you want to do. It's where can you plug in and be a culture add to an organization? Because as you're describing beautifully, you have a set of experiences that the people within that organization do not have. And it's going to be valuable for you to share those experiences, operate from those experiences, bring frameworks to bear on the business, the business unit. But what's also true is they have a ton of experience that you don't have, and you need to be fed that so that you can properly integrate into that organization and fully professionally speaking, integrate back into, into civilian life. And in many ways, you're not integrating back into civilian life professionally. You're integrating into the professional world for the first time. And that's something I think that a lot of people don't often realize when, when they're separating and retiring, uh, especially the guys that are retiring, you know, after, after 20 plus years, you know, it's like, well, I have experience. Like, yeah, you do, but you also don't. Yep. And that's what I, you know, my mindset has changed in a lot of ways, but that was what business school was for me was when I got out and I was floating around in the business world for a little bit, two or three years before I went to business school, it was what Carolina offered me was an immersive experience <clears throat> that would accelerate that learning curve for me, yeah. right? You know, I would have gotten it along the way when you start building up time, you can't rush experience. And so as you start building this through and experience in the civilian sector, um, it would come, but because I was around such great people up there and it was such an immersive experience and, you know, seven days a week, you're, you're, you're working closely with these guys and these teams and, and building different things where it's going to go. It really accelerated that curve. Um, and I think that's what, to your point, I see that more as I had, uh, it was a retired colonel that um, I was talking to. This is, I don't know, six months ago or something. And he said something I never really thought of. He goes, I, one thing that I, I try to tell my peers at, you know, the 06 level, the 20 years, 30 years that are coming out is most of you, if you come out and you go get a job, most of you need to prepare yourself that you are going to come out and you are going to work for a former, you know, junior military officer or senior enlisted guy, right? That, that has come out, they've transitioned before you. They have now gone through this curve and they're a couple of levels up into there that you're going to learn from those guys. And I never really thought of it that way. Um, but as you articulate it and you walk through this process and you start to think about, again, that transition is there is a whole world of experience out there that you don't get in the military. Um, and so it's, it's learning to merge those two things is where the magic can really happen. Yeah, dude, it is on the other side of that. It is mind blowing to have, to have senior enlisted and, you know, 06 and above retirees reach out to me and hey, listen, and and ask questions, and and I, and I find myself getting you know on these calls or having these correspondence where I'm like, I'm like, dude, what what I put myself in the military uh, feeling, you know, I, I I was an E four, like I never even made it to E five, you know, I just I, I got out after four years, like, I, and so here I am having these conversations, and it's just it's mind blowing from that side as well. But I and I think what you talk about is key. The key piece is humility, right? Like we're all coming to this with with humility of an intellectual understanding of these concepts, experience and inexperience, and then the kind of emotional understanding of, all right, well, I'm going to have to put myself in some uncomfortable, uh, I'm going to have to go through some uncomfortable feelings 
to get to the other side where there's this integrated partnership and relationship as I, as I move forward uh, pro- professionally. Um, so how did you start to bridge that gap? How did you think about, um, how did you operationalize what you were thinking about that gap uh, for, for these peers of yours and, and for your you know, potential new clients moving forward? It, it, it was learning what translates, right? And, and, and how to do it. So, cause there, there is a piece and, and I've got one of my teammates who, who just retired after 26 years in, in Marine special operations, you know, he'll tell you, he knows a lot of really good operators that we would not put in front of a client, right? Because it is, it, it's an additional skill set to be able to not only have the experience, but know how to communicate and translate that, that experience in a way that positively impacts the life of somebody else. And so, as we, we, you know, there's always refinement and we're always working through things that what we started with a few years ago is not what we do now. Um, some of it is, but we've refined through those things and it's understanding the, the basics of what we've done and staying true to ourselves, which is what we're able to bring is a lot of the pipeline and the things that made us successful where the stakes are the highest in combat. That's what we want to be able to bring and deliver to people in a different type of an environment. You know, there is nothing that we do that we do not. I don't build Marines. You know, we've got a we've got a really cool, really cool group right there at Paris Island or up in you know, out in San Diego or up in Virginia. They'll 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 help you become a Marine. Um, but we will approach things with the concept of shared adversity, of which is huge on building a high performing team. And so we do some experiential aspects that we like to put people in these this in a similar pathway of the, the Marine Corps development model. That's a lot of what our stuff is built off of um, is that's what refined us. And now we put that through to say, Hey, how can we take a similar scenario like that where, you know, you don't have to have weapons or, or different things, but we can create the adversity and the pressure that is, that comes with leadership. Uh, we want to put that in there and kind of put them in that furnace, put them under that pressure cooker that really allows them to not just grow and accelerate their growth as an individual, but it starts to build that team because they learn that, hey, you will fail fast if you try to do it by yourself and just try to manage everything and drive everything yourself. Every scenario that we create for them, it forces them to understand those concepts of creating feedback loops with their teammates, communicating effectively, assessing different situations, being adaptable, all the things that are going to make them successful in their arena. We do it. We just put it through in kind of a controlled environment that brings those types of elements out. And so that was the number one thing that we wanted to stay true to is with the messaging is we want to have something in our pathway that allow that it, that again, aligns with the Marine Corps side of that, that starts to bring that adversity into play and allows them to experience that. Yeah, it's so it's so important to do that because the, one of the odd things about the about the the business world is unlike athletics and and uh, military service, like you know you're you're actually always on deployment or every day is game day. Like you don't get off season training practice game day. Repeat that cycle ten to fifteen times and then start that that process over again. You're not on TDY doing a workup then deploying, then, then reintegrating. And then, you know, doing that. You're not, every day is, is game day. Every day is a deployment in the business world. Like the decisions that you're making and the way that you're leading your team, uh, the, the way that you're interacting with your clients, like it's make or break, uh, right. every single day. And so creating uh, a system where people can 
can learn in a heightened state of adversity, uh, maybe physically or emotionally, mentally, whatever it might be, but it also removes them from the day-to-day, you know, stakes of the business stakes actually probably helps get people outside of themselves and learn these lessons in a way that allows them to apply them quicker. Well, in, in, in part of what I would say our, our magic kind of lies in is there's, there's a lot of people that can be in this space, right? And you kind of have, there's the, the researchers out there that, that research things and they put, they put a cool message together. There, there's the academics that, that study it and have created a message and, hey, you know, this works and it's good. Um, that stuff's effective and you can learn a lot. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard is you can learn a lot about being a warrior uh, through reading and study and academics. Yeah, but li- living the warrior's life are two totally and completely different things. And so where we're able to kind of bring that to bear is we've done that, right? We've lived that life. Everything that we teach, everything that we talk about is a lesson of either, A, this is how we built and prepared ourselves and our teams to go into the arena, or this is a lesson that we learned the hard way. Um, and so when you go into a business, it's easy for them to, that's the number one thing that we run into is, hey, we don't have time to train. We don't have time to do this for that exact reason. Every day is where they're in the fight, right? And they're going through it. Well, and there's a lot of people who, no, but this is the process. They, they can't really stand on that, right? Well, we can because we can put our schedule up against anybody, right? Even when I was in combat and there's an active enemy out there, we still found ways to train. That's one of the most impactful things that that gets people to sit back a little bit is, We've been there. We've led the small teams. We've led the high-level teams. We've had the busy, busy schedule. We've had the high stakes. This is how we approach this. <laughs> it helps with the credibility piece of we've been in their shoes. And you, know, you flip that to uh, you know the sports, it's completely different. They almost have nothing but time to train right, and prepare and develop. And so the key issues for them in the athletic world is a little bit different. Um, but that, that world of having been in those shoes, having led the teams, having done those things. Now they don't have the time that we, or the money and the resources like we did in the military to train at the level that we did, but the concept still transfers that you can't ignore it. Right. And so that, that's what we're, those are similar conversations that we have in both of those worlds pretty routinely. I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a, it's a quick, uh, conversation stopper, right? If somebody wants to, to try to BS you about that stuff, I'll never forget my, my job in, in the air force loading bombs, we had to qual we had to get qualified every month, uh, on, on the, you know, a vast array of, of, of munitions that we were loading onto and into, um, F-15s and, and every airframe did it. Uh, and I'll never forget on both my deployments, guess what we were doing? Getting qualified. That's every, right. Still training. Now this time we were using you know, loading real, real munitions. Cause you know, cause they were, they were being utilized in combat, uh, but the training didn't stop. Um, and uh, you know, what's the first thing every fob sets up? Second thing, the gym, every time, whatever, whatever, whatever we can use to, to, to get our pump on, we have, you know, that's just, that's part of it. It's part of life. Right. Um, okay. So I would love to spend a little bit of time talking, just pivot a little bit and talk about, um, OpFob and the organization that, that you sit on the board of down there in, um, it's in South Carolina, right? It is. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's in original, just, just west of Hilton Island. Yeah. Talk to us about it. Yeah. It is a, uh, one of the things that was important to me again, as I started transitioning was, is not leaving that brotherhood, right? 
and the transition and everything can be a struggle. <clears throat> and so, um, one of in my mind's eye, going back to searching and creating opportunities, right? Is I had this idea, or I'd seen it. I've probably seen it somewhere else. I was like, "Hey, that's really cool." And when I build a company, one of the things that I wanted to have was I wanted to have a, a nonprofit on the other side. That portions can go to that. Where it's going to go, you know, how we can serve our vets and keep everybody together and doing the things that we enjoy doing. Um, and J.R. Brown, who who started Operation Patriots Five, beat me to it. And he, he has a different story and where it's going to go through, but, but I love it. And so it's an easy opportunity where, hey, this is awesome. I don't have to build this. He's already done it. He's got the message where it's at. It was an easy fit for me to join them over there. And it is, a, we've got 300 acres just west of here. And it is, the way I explain it, it's the veterans playground, right? We've got, uh, it helps vets through the outdoor recreation and kind of camaraderie that we can we can engage with each other in doing the things that were comfortable comfortable to us the hunting the fishing the shooting um everything just getting around and having a place where veterans can be veterans um so that that property out there we've got you know everything you can think of from side by sides to a 500 yard rifle and pistol range which we actually got state certified so that our local law enforcement could come out there and train outside as well and get some real training in um, sporting place course, plenty of, uh, of hunting stands and a number of different cottages where veterans can bring their families out and, and stay there. And so it has grown over the years and where we're watching it kind of build into now is it is a space for the veterans. Um, in fact, I'm getting ready to go out there this afternoon. We've got uh, one of my former companies that I commanded Lima company up at Paris Island. They're coming out there this afternoon. Um, and it's a spot where they can get together and bring their families and just reconnect. What has blown my mind about the FOB is the generational impact that it has had. And um, there's the, the numbers, I've seen different numbers, but in the low country area, there's something north of 300,000 veterans just in this area, because you've got you know Buford obviously, which is a heavy Marine and Navy presence. And then the army, there's two army bases right down in Savannah um, and there's plenty. And so when the FOB's there, the amount of, uh, Vietnam veterans and Gulf War veterans that come out there as well has been tremendously helpful to mentor my generation and the next, right? Um, and so it's it's really interesting how these guys were just as hungry for some of that stuff, that they got treated differently than we did when we came back. Um, and to watch that just naturally gravitate and, you know, a Marine who was chewing dirt in Iraq or Afghanistan can now share similar stories with, you know, a dude who was at Vietnam and in the jungles and talk, knows what it's like to be in a firefight and go through. And so that when the families come out, because it's not just about the vet, it's about the spouses and it's about the children and the stories that we're able to hear about. I haven't heard my dad talk about this in 30 years, 40 years, whatever it is. Um, it's because you get back around that brotherhood. And so everything we do for veterans is 100% free for thanks to the donations of, of kind of our gracious and generous supporters here in the local area. Um, and there's always new things going through, but the standing thing that we do is every Saturday, we do a, a coffee and camaraderie out there at the property um, with again, vets, their spouses, their children. And some of my favorite parts, I bring my boys out there. I don't see them, right? They get to go be boys. They get to play on the property, but what they're doing is, they're grabbing and latching on to some Vietnam veteran and he's taking them out on a side-by-side -side and going to feed ducks and fish. And they're just allowed to connect and they're able to see these guys in, in my heroes 
who were able to be around. And so that property, that recreational act aspect of it has been proven to be very helpful for the, the veteran suicide piece as well. Um, you know, our, our, there's a number of us uh, on the board, but four Marines on the board between the four of us, we've had 157 suicides um, uh, just in our teams. And what we are very proud to say, I think we're almost to the end of the year. We've served close, over 6,500 veterans have come through the property at OPFOB this year. And in the close to three years that we've been around, not a single veteran who has come through those gates has chosen that path. Uh, so I think that speaks volumes of just the, <laughs> the impact that that type of property can have, the, the enjoyment that they can get out and do the things that are, that are close to us, which is just detach for a little bit, get out and enjoy the outdoors. I love it. I love it. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to get down there, get down there one of these days. Um, <clears throat> So uh, I want to kind of wrap things up here a little bit uh, before we get to the open-ended question I asked to end each episode. Uh, where do you want to drive traffic? Where can folks find you uh, either on social, on the web? Um, where, where can we tag and where can we put in the show notes? Yeah, the uh, pretty active on, on, on LinkedIn and, and Instagram mostly. Uh, and then our website is ironleaderteam.com is an easy one to, to find. If you've got more questions about uh, Operation Patriots FOB. That's a simple one too. That is opfob.org. Um, that's an easy one. If you, if you just want to donate to it, you can get on there and donate. If you're a veteran, there's a simple portal there that you can you can fill out some paperwork or a little you know little form, and we'll get in touch with you and, and be able to to get there as well. So pretty easy to find um, and on any of those channels, and we'll get we'll, we'll get in touch with you. I love it. I love it. We'll link all that out, and we'll we'll put everything in the show notes. Um, all right. So to end each episode, I ask what's, what's on your heart, what's on your mind for our community could be a piece of advice, something you want to get off your chest or something you want to reiterate that we've already talked about today, but what's on your heart, what's on your mind? Yeah, I think the, uh, what's on my heart is again, you've heard me say it a couple of times, that word stewardship, right? Is everybody's fighting something, everybody's going through something and everybody has something to add. And so, you know, what, what I think is number one, be a good steward of the experiences you had, figure out how to give it back find a way to get through it. Um, number two is, is I think our world is rapidly becoming um, and being supportive of being internally focused. What's my problem? What's going on with me today? Why, why, why? Um, and we were just talking to, to a young leader the other day of think of the power of being others focused, others focused when you, it's amazing. We do it through, you know, as you know, all the military selections and the process going through, it's really easy to go internal and think about me but it's almost like a magic pill. The second you start doing what you should be doing, which is focusing on how you can serve other people and focusing on how you can support those that are around you, it's amazing how quickly your situation changes for the better. Right? You stop thinking about you know all the negative or all the you know, cold or whatever you've got going on for you. So I think there's power in being others focused um, and, and see and seek those opportunities for how you can go serve somebody. I love it. I love it. Stewardship is an active engagement uh not a not a passive one that's right joe appreciate your time uh i'll be i'll be down there in 10 or so days let's let's try to get together uh if we can this time and um and if not i'll catch you soon perfect buddy awesome. right. we'll see you